0: Welcome to the Season 1 Summit. This is Episode
1: 2 at Gaze at the National Parks. The Season 1 Summit is a four-part wrap-up to Season 1. We'll be looking at four different areas collectively over the 10 parks that we visited in this season. Last week, we looked at visitorship. This week we are looking at environment. Next week we are looking at current events and our final week will be a collective look at all of the hiking trails among all of the season one parks. Before we get started we just want to give a quick shout out to the beautiful Amy and the beautiful Greg over at parkchasers.com.
0: Park Chasers is a husband and a wife team. Their goal is to see all 419 NPS sites. And they
1: are well on their way. They run parkchasers.com, which is such an incredible website and that resource is such a resource. They have been to so many places. They write these beautiful, informative articles about the places they go. We look to them as a resource all the time and they also have a beautiful instagram account where you can um follow them as well as well as facebook.com you can find them at park chasers on facebook and at park chasers on instagram
0: this year park chasers is doing a park profile series and we are so proud and honored to be a part of that profile series they're taking a look at different individuals or different groups of people and how they interact with the parks and what their relationship is like our profile is live now it launched last friday on August the 9th.
1: And you can check that out uh, on all of our social media, which is on Instagram at Gays at the National Parks or on Facebook at Gays at the National Parks. And um, you can also check it out at on their Instagram account at Park Chasers and on Facebook and also their website, parkchasers.com. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so for this week, I really wanted to kind of take the lead and investigate a little bit more about the parks and their flora, fauna, and their just kind of general ecology. Um, and and just- Meriwether. And Meriwether. And what they have to offer as far as that goes. um, Because that's what so much of the park is. It's its natural splendor. Aside from the geographical and geological landmarks, the animals and the plants that make up the park really tell a beautiful story and weave a beautiful web. So before we talk a little bit more about the parks themselves, what's some of your favorite scenery?
1: Um, Um. Um... Well, I think that Cuyahoga Valley National Park is the greenest place I've ever seen in my life. But as far as scenery goes, the landscape of like Yosemite and Zion are just mm-hmm. unbelievable. I think my favorite scenery was Bryce Canyon. Yeah, it's, it's just, pretty high up there for me. Oh, God, it was so beautiful.
0: Because it's so varied. I feel like, you yeah, know.
1: It's like, you know, hoodoos and suddenly it's, you know, nature trees. And like then it's... You know, archways and it's orange and then it's white and then it's green. I mean it was everything.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think that Bryce Canyon really had a lot to offer. Um, I also feel like Great Smoky Mountains holds a really special place in my heart as far as like just general sweeping scenery goes oh, of from course. things that we've seen. Of course Zion and Yosemite are high up there too. But Great Smokies is it's just a really spectacular sort of like scenery there. You know, along with talking about flora and fauna too. I'll also be touching a little bit on climate change. As much as we're talking about the environment in this episode, climate change is a real thing. Um, It is something that's affecting us all. It is greatly affecting the national park system. We'll talk and delve a little into that as we go through the episode.
1: Since it is the most visited, tell us a little bit more about the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Sure. So, Within the park itself, there are 65 species of
0: mammals. The park actually estimates that at least 1,500 black bears reside inside the park. Some other mammals include white-tailed deer, groundhog, and bats. So kind of like
1: your forest animals. Wait, bats? Bats. Oh, we didn't see any bats when we were there. No, we Thank didn't Thank God, because if you want to see me <laughs> queen out, if a bat flies at me, I am I am gone. <laughs> I'm on the ground, petrified.
0: There's over 200 varieties of birds. About 80 of those migrate, and 120 of those make the park their home. 67 native species of fish, 80 types of reptiles and amphibians. Actually, Great Smoky Mountains is known as the Salamander Capital <gasps> of the world, as I would 30 never different types of salamander reside there. Guess that. Yep. Prior to the park's establishment in 1934, many species were either eradicated or expatriated due to hunting and trapping. So some of those species include bison used to be at the park, elk, gray wolf, and river otters, to name a few. There are also a bunch of threatened and endangered species that happen to be within the park, including the Carolina northern flying squirrel, the red cockaded woodpecker, and citico darter, which is a type of fish and the spruce fir moss spider. The park has an incredible diversity of plant life. It's a global center for non-flowering plants, including bryophytes, mosses, and ferns. There are over 380 non-native species within the park. They have been brought in through human activities, so it could be as innocuous as having something on your boot, or it could be something that is actually just brought in and planted. Some species of plants are actually poached within the park and one species is ginseng. Ginseng root is something that is they say poached, oh. but people like actually go into the park to dig up ginseng root, and every year law enforcement sees between 500 and 1000 poached roots, which then get replanted Not back in the park. Cool. Not cool at all, folks. Oh. Leave no trace. Seriously. Don't take anything from a park. Don't take anything from a park. Oh. Yeah so that's that's great Smoky Mountains, so it actually has like their great Smoky Mountains has an incredible diversity when it comes to plant and animal life, yeah and it really was fascinating to I think we learned about them being being the salamander capital of the world, but to kind of go back through that and then to see also that ginseng poaching is a thing, oh, yeah, and that's very crazy. clearly a thing within the park, so, yeah.
1: What other parks would you like to know about? I want to know about Arches.
0: About Arches. So Arches is much like other desert parks. So a lot of the time in the research that I did, and a lot of the research came from the NPS websites themselves. They also came from different sites, including the National Parks Conservation Association. Arches and Canyonlands a lot of times get really kind of bundled together because they are so close to one another and they have very similar plant life and also animal species. So it's one of those parks, just like most desert parks, where most of the creatures in the parks are only active at night. Um, So there are some nocturnal animals, which include kangaroo rats, wood rats, desert rodents, skunks, and ring-tailed cats. Wait,
1: hold on. You said nocturnal animals, which Uh is also a film starring Amy Adams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to take a moment and mention (laughs) her again because it's been a while. It has been a while. Um, Then you have animals that are active during
0: dawn and dusk mainly, and those are known as crepuscular animals. Those include mule deer, coyotes, songbirds, and porcupines. And animals that are mainly active during the day are known as diurnal animals, and those include squirrels, chipmunks, lizards, snakes, and hawks. There's at least 52 types of mammals, 186 types of birds, a variety of amphibians, including frogs, toads, and salamanders and a variety of snakes and lizards, which are the only reptiles to occupy the park. Water is obviously a major issue for any animal or plant within the park. So obviously, while humans like you and I can carry water bottles and have a bladder, animals really need to be prepared for not being able to find water for a while. So there are different things that these animals within desert climates have evolved to have as a part of their bodily functions that actually help them to retain water or to get water. So for example, mule deers use their large ears and they radiate heat from their blood to the air from these large ears to stay cool. Some creatures have specialized adaptations that allow them to make water out of dry foods, while others have nasal passages that allow them to breathe without too much moisture escaping from their body. The plants within the park are categorized into three different areas, drought escapers, drought resistors, and drought evaders Drought escapers are annual plants that make the most of the water when it's available. Um, So those are like wildflowers. Drought resistors are cacti and yuccas and even mosses. While they need water and moist areas to survive, if they're dried out and then receive water again, will actually come back to life. And drought evaders and these lie in the riparian areas of the park. So a riparian area of a park is an area that's like around a riverbank. Basically, that's a word I had to look up. I had no idea yeah, what that I had meant. I not heard of that. Um, and those include cottonwood, monkey flower, and columbine. So uh-huh. very similar to what Canyonlands has to offer as well. Great. What about Yosemite? Yosemite. So this was like all very fascinating. It's it's a little bit of like scientific information from for the most part, but I was able to learn so much about the parks, which was really cool. There's 11 native amphibian species, including the Sierra Newt over 262 types of birds, including the California spotted owl within the ecosystem bird health of Yosemite. It's a way that scientists can measure the health of that ecosystem, specifically birds. So they're able to see if birds are in decline, they kind of know what's going on Or can kind of at least discover that there's something wrong within the park. There's 22 different types of snakes and reptiles. Garter snakes are the most common snakes observed in the park. I know how much you like snakes.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I love them so (laughs) much.
0: And the only venomous snake in the park is the Northern Pacific rattlesnake. So there's a, a large variety of garter snakes, but Northern Pacific rattlesnake is the only venomous snake. And there are some fish, and only the native fish are found at lower elevations. And there are some stocking that has happened within the park. That's been something that's been going on for a really long time, but it's been well managed and it's started to be on the decline or they're not stocking as many. And then there's a large variety of plants within the park itself. It's divided into a bunch of different zones, the foothill woodland zone, the lower montane forest, the upper montane forest, the subalpine forest and the alpine zone. So a lot of the things that we're finding in Yosemite are much larger trees. That's where they kind of talk about their flora of the park. It's things like sequoia and mariposa, red fir. There's also wildflowers up on the mountains and things like that. But a lot of larger trees are really talked about as the main things within the park as far as flora goes. Speaking
1: of trees, I know there are some really special trees in Congaree National Mm -hmm. Park, and that is like part of why it was preserved as a national park.
0: Right. So those trees include the cypress trees and sassafras trees and tupelo trees. Sassafras. Sassafras trees. Um, So while pines dominate the higher areas of the park, it's those that are found in that Bottomland forest, um, where it's typically a flood zone. As far as snakes go in that park, since we're you know on Congaree, there are several poisonous varieties within the park. Oh, the great! Park. So things we didn't know. That includes the coral snake, the copperhead, and the canebrake rattler, and the ubiquitous cottonmouth. Oh, um, yeah, so those use, are really great yeah,
1: to you know mm-hmm. run into. Use
0: caution in areas that snakes may frequent, such as worm, rocks, holes, and down trees, like that giant down
1: tree that we or passed that like, one day. All of Congaree National Park, Mm -hmm. you know, just stay on the boardwalk, guys. Mm -hmm. Just do that, yeah. And the park has a lot of different bird
0: species within it a lot of small songbirds, hawks, wild turkeys, osprey are less common but may be occasionally spotted. Squirrels are in most places in the park. It is literally like a walk in the woods at Congaree, it is. Um, and snakes are endemic to the area, so
1: there you go, there you go. Um, I am curious now about Acadia National Park.
0: Acadia. So Acadia has a really interesting wealth of different things. So seven types of reptile, 38 types of mammals, including moose, river otter, coyote, and long-tailed weasels. 33 types of fish, including the golden shiner, the alewife, and the creek chub. And over 210 types of birds, including the American golden eagle the blue jay, and the eastern swamp sparrow. There were a ton. I just picked a few out of there. The plants are divided into several different categories. Ferns, they enjoy moist shaded areas. Freshwater plants, which there are over 80 species with an additional 12 that are semi-aquatic. Grasses, which mostly inhabit wet areas. Marine plants like algae and seaweeds. Mosses and liverworts, which reproduce by spores. And wildflowers, which we saw a decent amount of when we were on Bar Island. Yes,
1: we did. We did.
0: We could kind of talk on and on about all of these different parts of the parks and and the different things that they have to offer. There are a lot of carryovers. I can kind of keep listing these numbers, but I think we kind of touched on a few of the major ones, at least five of the major ones that we saw. I think one of the more important things to really kind of go with and to really talk about is conservation within the parks yes let's do. Um, and conservation from a point of hey we need to keep the parks clean we want to make sure the parks are there for everybody pack in and pack it back out things like that but also from a sense of climate change so Like I said, I I drew a lot of this information from NPS's website, but also from the National Parks Conservation Association. I wanted to just let you know that we do talk a lot about our national parks, but we have 419 sites within the national park system, and they are primed to be deeply affected by climate change. A new study by UC Berkeley and the University of Wisconsin looked at temperature and rainfall from 1895 to 2010 to see how environment change will affect the parks and the nation as a whole. Temperature rise will be exacerbated through the end of the century, as the Mid South and Southwest will become drier, much of the northern parts of the country will become wetter. This is something that is going to be an issue and continue to be an issue. As far as the parks themselves go, There are issues that are facing them currently. One of the biggest issues that I found across the board from all the parks was air quality. And this is especially true in Yosemite and some of the other parks within the San Joaquin Valley, which would include Sequoia and also Kings Canyon. They have a lot of ongoing dirty air. This can lead to a whole host of issues. Hazy skies. Visitors will miss around 60 miles of views. This is again, some a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about here with Yosemite are things that are relatable to most of the parks. Yeah. Um, unhealthy right. air, fine particle matter, and ozone pollution can lead to serious breathing problems, chronic heart and lung disease, and even premature death. This is unhealthy for visitors, rangers, and residents. Unhealthy air also affects the plant life. A lot of things that I found were as far as air quality goes, related to ozone pollution. Ozone pollution at lower levels can actually have serious impact on the growth of different plant life, so much so that it breaks down the cellular walls and doesn't allow photosynthesis to occur or for food to be stored properly. So it is something that can affect the flora within a park.
1: Damn.
0: There's also ecosystem impact. The haze can impact processes like like I said, photosynthesis, which may be driving tree mortality rates in the areas of Yosemite specifically. Pollutants like nitrogen oxides and ammonia can also lead to excess nitrogen deposition, which alters natural ecosystem functions and encourages the growth of invasive species and algae blooms. Air pollution is something that is a big issue. And listen, it doesn't have to be air right near the park. For example, in Bryce Canyon and Zion, there's not necessarily a lot of industry right near the park. But depending on the air change and the winds, poor air from large power plants and mines can blow in. It's the same thing with Acadia, there's industrial cities to the west and the south. And if the air changes, the air changes and it is going to and bring it affects everything yeah, to fix everything it was really interesting you can find some photos where again a lot of this was air pollution related where they'll show you a photo on a really clear day where there's no smog or fine particles in the air and you can see so far and they'll show the exact same photo taken on a day that the air is poor quality and it's it's like a fog you can't see yeah So that's a big deal. A lot of things also that are affecting the parks are new construction and overcrowding. So encroaching construction of new hotels, which make the park more accessible to people. This specifically is for Bryce Canyon and Zion. However, this drives wildlife out of their natural habitats. It also has indirect impacts on the park itself through overcrowding and increased light pollution. Overcrowding is a big deal in a lot of these parks. Yeah, and, Acadia
1: is facing that right now, yeah. specifically because of, there's a ton of traffic.
0: Yeah, and it's not the goal of the national park system to turn anybody away, but it's their goal
1: to preserve what's there. Because um, that is first and foremost the ge- the job.
0: Right. It's their goal to not limit visitor experience. But with that being said, they have to conserve the parks themselves. We know that Yosemite and Zion already have trams. Trams may start to become the answer for some of these other parks as Mm -hmm. well to limit that traffic within the park and to limit pollution. I know that Acadia, there is a bus system. So there are buses that you can get hop on and hop off. So you could do that. That's a possibility as well.
1: Um, The other thing with
0: indirect light pollution.
1: Wait. Before we go into that, if there is an already existing public transport system, not using your car and taking the public transport system is an act of helping keep the air cleaner, putting less exhaust into the air inside of a national park.
0: Oh, 110%. Yeah. And that's something that we all have to kind of like pitch in and kind of think about. Another issue was the um, encroaching society and encroaching construction. There are a lot of parks that are a part of the International Dark Sky Association. And as different settlements, different hotels encroach upon the lands of the parks, it becomes less and less a viable place to have an international dark sky, which is important for astronomers, whether they're amateur or, you know, professional. And it's, such a beautiful thing to be able to see a sky that's filled with stars. Not that you or I have necessarily witnessed that in a park, but I've been on the coast of Maine and I've been in places where it's really, really dark because there's not a lot of light pollution. And to see the Milky Way is something that, everyone should be able to see yes that's something you should be able to see in the park system there's also problems like invasive species that's kind of across the board too specifically in great smoky mountains there are feral pigs and they root up mountainsides and they prey on the salamander population which oh i didn't know for being the salamander capital of the world um this is something that has become a problem um there's also invasive plants like uh kudzu um and well yeah, kudzu yeah, is kudzu. definitely invasive. And um Aldegids insects, um, and they target hemlock and fir trees. There's a lot of different issues with because the climate is warmer too, that there are insects that burrow under trees and under bark that then strip the tree of their bark and their protection that we then caused them to happening. die. Um, That is becoming more and more prevalent now because the climate is warmer and things aren't dying as they should when there are frosts because the frosts aren't as strong or not coming at all. As far as Rocky Mountain National Park goes, a lot of what's affecting there is the snow. When there is a milder winter and a longer summer, there's not as much snow. The snow in the spring melts two to three weeks earlier. It means less water available for plants and animals. There are a greater number of mountain pine beetles, which is what I was just talking about, and they contribute to a longer and more severe pine, pine beetle outbreak that's changed the landscape on trails and campgrounds throughout the park because they're stripping trees of their bark. There's invasive species. Timing of natural events like wildflower blooms and butterfly arrivals are way out of whack. So there's just there's a lot that's happening within the park um that is really, really disheartening. One last thing, just as far as, you know, talking about pollutions in the park and, and climate change. Water pollution is something that I was able to research in Cuyahoga Valley specifically in Acadia. Cuyahoga had a really long history of a very dirty river. In nineteen sixty nine when a passing rail car created a spark, it ignited the river. And then, because of this and other things, the Clean Water Act was passed. Much of the river was restored in Cuyahoga Valley and the Cuyahoga River in general. But while it's come a long way from 40 years ago, there are still some areas that need help and need restoration. As far as water pollution in Acadia goes, there's airborne mercury. They're deposited in the park's ecosystem. They enter the food chain and accumulate on the tissue of organisms. These can easily reduce reproductive success and growth and development and decreased survival for park wildlife. And a lot of that was mentioned specifically for waterfowl and fish within the park itself. So these are issues that aren't new necessarily. A lot of these things, aside from the fact that global warming is an issue and is exacerbating these issues that are already around, these are things that have had to have been dealt with for many years. And there are things that aren't just going to go away. There are things that everybody needs to work at. And there are things that you need to just start, we all need to start considering the best way to conserve what we have and to help the
1: planet that we are all a part of. And with that, let's introduce our queen. <music> Ladies, gentlemen, and everyone in between, please welcome to the stage, Tara Tori. Who's Territory? Dusty. Well, you know what? Territory is made of the earth.
0: <laughs> she is made of the earth. Yeah.
1: Oh, I kind of want her name to be Territory Spelling.
0: Oh, Territory Spelling. Uh, yeah, I like that. Maybe it. Okay. that's
1: it. Maybe she's like a like the Earth Gnome version of Tory Spelling. <laughs> Right.
0: Look around.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there are many things to see. <laughs> uh, you know that's on Amazon Prime
0: now. Oh, I know. I watched it. It was only one season. We're talking about David and Noah. We everybody. are. It
1: was only one season. And
0: also, it's the bleakest ending. It, it's a very bleak ending. It's a ending. very bleak ending. I
1: mean, let's talk about, you know, the sort of... Green Conservancy. Oh my that God. Is The pilot episode of that. Well, show, all of Dave the Gnome is all about like
0: conservation. All, oh, basically. I know. But still,
1: these things I know exactly. Um, but no, I feel like uh, territory spelling is like a is like um, uh, poison ivy from uh, Batman. Uh, oh, a little and Robin. Yes, I feel <laughs> with like,
0: all of, like the homoeroticism that, exactly. that came along with it. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, or, I feel nipples. like it's sort of.
1: Um, She's inspired by her look. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: What is her song that she sings?
1: Um, I Feel the Earth. Mm, move yeah, I think so. Under
0: her feet.
1: I feel- that one, that one, that Carol King song. <laughs> yeah, no, I love her. And I think she, yeah. I mean, she's an earth goddess. She is an earth goddess. She's an earth goddess that's mixed in with like a 90210 character. Mm hmm. Yeah. Like oh maybe you know what this is what it is, territory is like Tori Spelling by day, oh in nine zero two one zero and then she transforms so like, she's like Gem, Gem in the hologram yeah like she's like you know Jerrica Benton turned into Gem Tory Spelling turns into territory mm-hmm. and she's sort of a superhero like Earth goddess so ladies gentlemen and everyone in between please welcome to the stage territory. territory. I'm ready for this game, Michael. Let's and, do it. And let's
0: end this episode with a game. All right. So this game is called Where in the World, Dusty? I'm ready. All right, so you're going to need to name a park. There is a lightning round here. I will tell you that. You're just going to have to go with it. I'm ready. Okay. So this panhandle park has coral reefs, mangrove forests, and an inherent marine ecosystem. And we visited this. We park? have not visited it. Some of them we have not visited.
1: Oh, is this
0: Everglades? It's not Everglades. It's Biscayne. It's Biscayne. Okay. From the contiguous center of the United States in Lebanon, Kansas, these three national parks are the closest: Rocky Mountain, Great Sand Dunes, and Badlands. Which of the three is actually the closest driving distance from Lebanon, Kansas?
1: Great sand dunes. It's Badlands. It's Badlands. They're all about okay.
0: four hundred and like twenty miles away. Great. The following Indian reservations directly surround and in some areas through unclear boundaries, meaning that there isn't necessarily a barrier, directly intermingle with this southwest national park. The tribes are as follows. So I'm gonna list three tribes, you need to tell me the park, okay? okay. Navajo, Hopi, and Kaibab. I'm sorry. Navajo, Hopi, Kaibab, Hualapi, and uh, Havasupai name the national park.
1: Is it the Grand Canyon? It is
0: the Grand Canyon. Name as many of the four national parks you can that are named after types of trees or plants.
1: Okay, uh, Sequoia. Yep. Um, Everglades. I think the Everglade. I think Everglades is just. It's an area it's of an land. An area of land. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Redwoods. That's all I have for you at this time.
0: So you've got two. Redwoods, Sequoia, Joshua Tree, oh, yeah. and Saguaro.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Great. Um, here's the lightning round. I'm going to list three things that surround a national park. It could be cities. It could be national forest or a national monument. Using the list of three items, tell me the national park that corresponds. I'm ready. These are all parks we have been to. Great. Okay. Fort Collins, Arapaho, and Roosevelt National Forest Red Rocks Amphitheater. Oh, I don't remember. What is Rocky Mountain? Oh, okay. Sumner, Lake Marion, Manchester State Forest, Acadia, no Congaree. Okay, Manassas Park, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson National Parks, and Monticello. Acadia, <laughs> no, Shenandoah, no. Okay, yep. that's right. Grand Staircase, Goblin Valley State Park, Hanksville.
1: Well, this was, um, uh, this was Utah. It was Bryce Canyon. No, Capitol Reef. Capitol Reef. Yeah. Okay, and that's trivia. Great. I didn't do so well in that lightning <laughs> round, <laughs> but there we go. There we go. This has been the Season 1 Summit, Part 2, by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. And we are here to remind you to hike early and hike often, and that adventure is always out there.
0: Follow us on Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks, and email us at gazeatthenationalparks at at gmail.com.
1: Gaze at the National Parks was created and is hosted by Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan.
0: All original music was written and recorded by Dave Seaman with Mariella Klinger. All original artwork featured on
1: Instagram is by Michael Ryan. This episode was edited by Dustin Ballard. Stay tuned for two more season one summits this month and then the start of season two on Monday, September the 16th.